Welcome to another episode of the Straight Talk Podcast. I am your host, former Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark. Well, summer's winding down, getting to the end. I hope you enjoyed your summer. I know I did mine. I got away a couple of times for some important rest and relaxation. That's always necessary in this crazy world. But now it's back to work. Here's what I want to start today. I want a couple of sidebar issues before we get into some bigger stuff. You know, I've talked on this program a lot about the situation in Ukraine, the war in Ukraine. Let me be specific. The war, it's not a situation. And also what's going on in the West African nations is they're gearing up for what looks like a war. French troops have been ordered to leave Niger. As you know, Niger recently underwent a coup, a military coup. And things are changing. You have these this group of Western African nations around Niger that are banding together and they've threatened war and they've threatened military action if the elected president isn't returned to the presidency. Right now, there's just a little bit of bantering going back and forth. But I asked early on because, you know, this is a volatile part of the world. And the reason it is because those West African nations are a hotbed for jihadist jihadist terrorist activity. And that's the vital interest for the United States. Now, when I say that, I'm not suggesting the United States get involved in a military action over there, but they did support the country of Niger. Niger. And now it's like, what do they do? Well, first of all, they're up to their eyeballs in Ukraine. And they're really not even in a position to get heavily involved with what's going on in, in Niger. And so I, you know, I follow this. I get my information from this threat assessment that comes out every week or so, and I read it. And, and what it is, it's the, the news inside the Pentagon on the southern border and around the world. It's about national security. And so I read this thing to keep up what's going on around the world and here at home from a domestic security standpoint and a national security standpoint. But anyway, I want to read a little bit from this threat status from this report I get. It says, Eastern Ukraine is ground zero in the grinding bloody war between Kiev and Moscow, now well into its 18th month. But many observers feared the conflict couldn't be contained to Ukraine and that the fallout would eventually seep deeper into the region and even the world. And let me stop there. That's always been my big concern about this, this war going on in Ukraine. The deeper that we get into this, the more we're headed to having to put troops on the ground. If this, brings, if this spreads into Europe, we are in big trouble. And you've heard me talk, and you can have whatever position you want. But at this point in time, I think the United States foreign policy should be to force Zelensky to the negotiating table, somehow get Putin to the negotiating table, and somehow grind out a solution to end this war, an end of the war. All right, those negotiations oftentimes are a little ugly. But there's some things that, that, that Russia could go for, I think, that could be used as a as bait, if you will, motivation. Let me use that word to bring this thing to an end. This thing hasn't been easy for Russia. But for the United States, fighting a proxy war, you know, it depends on who you want to believe. Anywhere from $45 billion to $100 billion has been pumped into Ukraine. They claim military aid, but then they also claim um, humanitarian efforts. The country's being destroyed. The country's infrastructure is being destroyed. So where are we on this thing? Well, Blinken, Secretary of State Blinken, made a surprise visit to Kiev last week, and he promised another billion dollars in aid. Yes. Another billion dollars to keep this war going. And let's be honest, Ukraine isn't making any headway 
any real headway. This thing's a quagmire right now. They're going to pump another billion in, and there's no end in sight. You have both Democrats and Republicans who support this, and I'm talking about on the Hill, in Congress, who support this, just flushing this money down the toilet to keep a war going. So far, the only people dying are Russian soldiers, Ukraine soldiers, Ukrainian citizens, for the most part. They're the ones dying. They're the ones that are paying the real cost of war. But this thing's going to bankrupt us. And here's another thing. I think, because this, this thing's not getting a lot of coverage from the New York Times who support the ongoing war, the Washington Post who support the ongoing war because the Democrats and Biden support it. That's the only reason. Those are usually two anti-war entities. And like I've said before, if this war were being conducted on Trump's watch right now, all the New York Times and CNN and the Washington Post and every other editorial page of any large newspaper in the United States would be blasting Trump, telling him to end the war. You'd see protests. And those protests would be highly visible on CNN and MSNBC and all these other liberal networks who would cover the protest to end the war. But since it's a Democrat, Joe Biden, who's orchestrating the war, you know, well, you know, it's what we got to do. And then Republicans are no better on this either. Now, there are a couple of people in the Congress, GOPers, who are against this, and they've been vocal about it, but they kind of stand alone. But here's one thing to remember, that whoever wins, and hopefully it's a GOP president, in 2024, they're going to walk into the White House with this thrown in their lap. What do we do about Ukraine? And then watch the New York Times editorial board and the Washington Post editorial board and watch CNN and MSNBC and NBC and CBS and ABC do a 180 and call for an end to this war and let the United States get out of it. Watch. This thing, like every other war, ends up being politicized. And once a war turns political, that is never a good thing for the United States. Because the longer these things go on, the, the opinion of the American public starts to wane, starts to be too much to endure, it's too long, it wears them down. And then public support turns. Happens every time in every war, especially with those that the United States is involved in. I'm talking about modern day. Let's do that post-World War II, that is. I, I would like to think, and we don't know what's going to be on the landscape. Let me, let me make that clear. I, when, I, when I sit in front of this microphone and talk to you folks, I'm not talking as if I have some crystal ball and that I know. What things are going to look like a year from now, heading into the November election? I have no idea. I think the economy will be a big issue, but the economy is always a big issue. I think crime and violence will be a big issue. You know, these kitchen table issues will be big. But foreign policy will be big as well. And it just, it just seems like the United States is slip-sliding toward active involvement. When I say active, I'm talking boots on the ground. Because if this war spreads into Europe, the United States is going to have to act. And they aren't going to be able to fight it, continue to fight it in a proxy form. So this threat assessment says Republican presidential hopefuls are openly debating America's role in supporting Ukraine and whether Washington should instead focus its energy on facilitating a ceasefire. I sat up here probably, I don't know, two, three months ago, and I said that very thing. It is time for a ceasefire and a negotiated settlement to end this war. 
Now, if I said that three, four months ago, and this thing is still going on in 2024 and beyond, think of what will have been lost, the money, the lies. So anyway, we'll see if that gets more play in the next presidential debate. I doubt it. it you know, they, they brushed over it in the first one, but that was par for the course. All right, item number two. We're heading into the cold and flu season, right? Every fall and winter, we have it. And all the ninnies, you know, are, are all the COVID infections are up, hospitalizations are up. This is going to be interesting, ladies and gentlemen. It is going to be interesting to see if we fall for that same trick using fear as a weapon to oppress the American people, to force people into wearing masks, to forcing shutdowns, to forcing vaccinations. And it's coming. It's already started. There are some school districts in the United States. We're talking primary school. The, the, the group of, the age group of people who are least affected by this. In terms of deaths and hospitalization, young people, kids. They're masking kids again. And there's talk, there's hint. And this is how this goes. There's hint from government officials that, well, you know, we might have, well, the science, well, you know, we got to save as many lives as we can. I hope to God, and yes, I'm a God-fearing man, we aren't stupid enough to fall for this trick again, and to allow the government to do what they did during the last pandemic, forcing shutdowns, other policies like mandating mask wearing, which does nothing, which even Fauci afterwards, he did it before, but afterwards says, yeah, the mask thing wasn't really, it didn't really make a difference, because it doesn't make a difference. But what it is, is it's an act of control over us. Here, put this on. And we do it. That's for your own good. Well, why shouldn't that be my decision? We know the dangers. There are certain groups, medical groups, who'll be affected in worse ways by this than anybody else. Well, you know what? Just advise them to put a mask on. Why do you have to force healthy people to wear a mask or to get a vaccine? And then let them make the decision. And if they make the decision not to and they die, well, you know what? We get to do that in the United States. Self-rule. We want to govern ourselves. We'll make those decisions. Just give us the information. And by the way, the information they're giving, they're lying to us anyway. So how do you make a good decision off of bad information put out by the federal government and the CDC? So we'll see how this goes, but I'm just, I'm worried. I'm worried because this is a freedom and liberty issue. To me, this is not a science issue. It's not a medical issue. Freedom and just give me the information, the truth about it, not the stuff to steer me toward a decision you want me to make. Just put it out there and let people make their own decision. I don't want to wear that face diaper. I don't want to be forced to inject something into my body that I don't want. And one of the reasons I don't want it is because I don't know the whole truth about it. Maybe if I did, I'd make a different decision. But then again, maybe not, because the truth might be that, you know what, this is dangerous taking this thing. But, you know, that danger outweighs the danger of getting COVID and dying from it. So this is going to be a test. Are they going to be able to do this to us again? And we're going to fall in line. They're going to try to do it. And I know the stuff about, well, they're doing it because, you know, in 2024, it'll be the same time of year, right? After Labor Day, the fall, the cold and flu season, and they'll force us into masks and mass mailing and all these policies on voting. That's not what it's about for me, though. 
There's a bigger issue. Freedom and liberty. Let me decide. And I'm just, I'm a little worried. I'm a lot worried. That too many of us, because what we need, we need a critical mass of people to rise up and resist these efforts. Protest demonstrations. Large scale with no masks on. Protesting these mandates, these oppressive mandates, that will get their attention. You know what would be cool? If someone, and someone has to organize this, because these movements have to be, they need to be organized. Because you got to get everybody on the same sheet of music. And it doesn't have to be all the same time, but you need these protests, right? People should show up at airports, on the outside, in the lobby where you can, anybody can get it open to the public. You're not going to do, be able to do this past the checkpoints. With 10,000 people at, let's say, I don't know, LAX, Dallas-Fort Worth, O'Hare, JFK, 10, 20, 30,000 people and tie up the damn airport. From the outside. That would get their attention. Because until we push back effectively, we're going to continue to get pushed around like a bunch of wusses. And I'm tired of seeing too many of us with this attitude. Well, it's for our own good. Well, if we could just save one life. Well, if this, well, if that. It's excuse making makes me vomit. When are we going to get the courage to stand up, stare down the government, and go, no more? That's it. We're done. But you can't have 50 people do it. They'll just arrest those 50 people. You've seen those large-scale demonstrations in different countries, Sri Lanka, where 250 people turn out and surrounded the presidential palace? You've seen it in Europe? Will there have been mass demonstrations over mask mandates? We have not had that here. Why not? Because we're in our comfort zone. Well, what's a little, what's it going to hurt? You know, I just, this stuff makes me sick when I hear this stuff. Well, what's it going to hurt? Well, the science is, the hell with the science. It's going to hurt freedom and liberty. And it won't stop there. Who would have thought? Who would have thought, ladies and gentlemen, when the pandemic started? Remember it started with the shutdowns? Remember it was about flattening the curve? I need to remind folks of this. It started with two weeks to flatten the curve so the hospitals wouldn't get overrun. Two weeks, they said. The science said. The experts, two weeks to flatten the curve. And then it went into mask mandates. Well, what happened to the two weeks? Well, you know, we got to do this. Who would have thought when they announced shutdowns and then all this social distancing crap? It's all BS anyway. Who would have thought? that the government would have forced us through the nefarious ways of taking a vaccine, forcing us to inject something into our body that was experimental in nature to begin with. That was an experimental, and it wasn't a vaccine, it was a therapeutic. And words matter here. But think about this. We went from two weeks to flatten the curve and hospitals were never overrun, by the way, and it wasn't because of the two weeks. Remember we went on this mass ventilator building thing, shut down Ford Motor Company and whatnot and built ventilators. And then you had Cuomo shoving patients, COVID patients into nursing homes and killing people. Think about what we went through. And we're going to allow them to do this again? I'll tell you what, 
If that happens, I will have lost all faith in the American people. So we'll have to stay tuned to that. Next item. Presidential race. We'll spend some time on this. Two, two, two different issues here. The first one. Ramaswamy is rocketing upwards in the polls, and of course he's coming under attack. That's what happens when you ascend to the top. It happens to every candidate who makes this meteoric rise toward the top of the polls. So it's Vivek's turn. I remember when this happened to Herman Cain. He shot the number one in the polls at some point, and the attacks and the assaults, and you know, it wasn't necessarily from the other side, meaning the Democrats. It was from Republicans. Because these people turn into, you know, they're like vultures on a roadside carcass. They're like piranha. They see blood in the water and they attack. Before this, all the attacks were coming Trump's way. A little bit for DeSantis, too. You know, when he got in, he faced his, don't get me wrong. But now, anyway, it's Vivek Ramaswamy's turn in the barrel. So this story came out about Vivek's position on Juneteenth Day. You all know what Juneteenth is. If you don't look it up, I'm not going to treat you like children and sit here and take time explaining about Juneteenth Day. Anyway, it's a national holiday. I want to talk about how we got here on Juneteenth Day becoming a federal national holiday. It's been a state holiday in several states. started in Texas, where it was a state holiday. And a couple other states had it as a state holiday. So anyway, if you recall, about a year before the 2020 presidential election, Donald Trump announced he was going to have one of his big rallies on Juneteenth Day, not in commemoration or memory of Juneteenth Day, but he, that's just the date he picked. And oh my God, did the race hustlers and the left go wild. You would have thought that he desecrated something. Juneteenth Day, keep in mind, about 45 states didn't even acknowledge it. Now, they had different celebrations within a lot of states. I know Milwaukee's always had one. Every year I used to ride in the parade on horseback, and the people loved it. You should have seen it. It was a love fest. The streets lined with black people. Cheering me on as I rode down the street on a horse. So I was well, well aware and familiar with Juneteenth Day, and it's important to people emotionally. So what? It is. So, once Trump faced that backlash, if you recall, he reversed course and he moved the date. Smart thing to do. Was, hey, if this upsets people so much, he didn't say to hell with it and who cares. He moved it. That's politically smart. But anyway, Trump got the discussion going nationally about the significance of Juneteenth Day. Trump did that. Because let's be honest, throughout the United States, not many people cared about Juneteenth Day. It just wasn't that big a deal. It was locally, and like I said, the state of Texas had a state holiday. But it wasn't until Trump decided to have a rally, one of his famous rallies on Juneteenth Day, that all of a sudden people started, well, what's Juneteenth? Oh, oh, really? Oh, yeah, he can't. The discussion started after that about it becoming a national holiday. Trump put the attention on Juneteenth Day. Otherwise, I'm telling you right now, nobody would propose it to become a federal holiday. But now there's momentum. That's a good thing. I'm talking about in terms of, you know, the significance of it. I'm not saying I supported it becoming a federal holiday. To be honest with you, I really didn't care. Who cares? If, you know, if, if they want to make it a holiday, I wasn't, I, I didn't come out again. I just, but here's the thing. 
in terms of its significance, let's look at it historically. There are people, including one of these articles I have in front of me, that make the comment that Juneteenth was the day that slavery officially ended in America. I got it right in front of me here. It's from People.com. It says, we'll get into Vivek in a minute. Vivek Ramaswamy, a conservative entrepreneur and Republican presidential candidate, suggested putting an end to Juneteenth, the annual holiday commemorating the day that slavery official ended in America on June 19, 1865. That is historically and factually incorrect. Slavery didn't end on Juneteenth, day 1865. First of all, we had a civil war. Then Lincoln declares the Emancipation Proclamation, but that didn't end slavery either. Because if people knew their history, the Emancipation Proclamation still allowed slavery in parts of the South that didn't participate in the Civil War or secession. And there were still some northern states, some along that Mason-Dixon line that still had slavery, and it didn't, it excluded them from the Emancipation Proclamation. So even the Emancipation Proclamation did not end slavery in the United States. The fact, the historical fact, the constitutional fact, because that's what ended slavery, the 13th Amendment. But even the passage of the 13th Amendment technically did not end slavery. It had to be ratified by two-thirds of the states. You know when that happened? After it was passed by Congress? Because that's how you have to change a, a or or amend the Constitution, passed by Congress, and then it has to be ratified by two-thirds of the state legislature. You know when that happened? December 6th of 1865. December 6th is when the 13th Amendment was ratified. Then it became the law of the land. So slavery officially ended. Officially, and this article says that slavery officially ended in America on June 19, 1865. That's simply not true. So let's get the historical facts straight. First, so if there's a date to remember in the history of the ending of slavery movement, it should be December 6th when Georgia put it over the top. Well, you now had two-thirds of the legislatures and the existing colonies, uh, states at the time, and there were not 50 states. I think it was 36 at the time. Georgia made it, the two-thirds needed to ratify the 13th Amendment. So it's actually December 6th that has a more historical significance than June 19th. But people on June 19th, okay, I don't care, but I'm not talking about this issue now. Because, well, was it this day or was it that? Was it the Emancipation Proclamation? Was it the end of the Civil War, the surrender, you know, or whatever, uh, you know, the, the, the South surrendered to the North? Grant and whoever from the South, and it was Lee. Okay, I, I mean, who cares? Right? I, I'm not here to pick nets. But don't tell me that June, June 19th is the most significant date in American history as it relates to the end of the Civil War. It was not. It was December 6th. So if we want a national holiday, I would have proposed or argued when this came up, well, it's not. It should be when the Constitution ratified the 13th Amendment. That ended slavery, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe not to the Democrats, because then they came up with their black codes and their, their Jim Crow and everything else. White liberals. But I guess, you know, that historical aspect is important in this conversation about June 19th. And I understand what June 19th was, right? Union soldiers showed up in Texas and, and told them, hey, man, slavery ended. But it, it did on paper, but it didn't by the Constitution. The Constitution freed the slaves. That troop showing up in Texas announcing to the slaves who hadn't heard that the Civil War was over and the North won, 
That did not end slavery. And by the way, states were still trying to get around it when Lincoln entered, when Lincoln implemented the Emancipation Proclamation. The, the, the Democrats in the South were still getting around it. And they were they were able to do that until the, that's why they came up with the 13th Amendment. And the 14th Amendment, we got we, we're gonna have to codify this. Not this, you know, emotionally significant date. And I'm again, I'm not here to slam Juneteenth. Because I know more about this than most folks, including people listening to this program. But I want to get it historically straight. That should have been the holiday we, we, we marked. December 6th. So anyway, let's get back to Vivek here. Vivek enters into this, this hornet's nest. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that this is a little bit of inexperience. He's a smart guy. He's a sharp guy. But he's not politically savvy. There are times when you have to learn, you know what, I'm not going down that rabbit hole, and I'm not going to let anybody lead me down that rabbit hole. And that comes from experience. So Vivek was asked about Juneteenth, and he called it useless. Well, Vivek, First of all, bad choice of word. It's not useless. Maybe you have some reason like I had, but I thought it through. Well, we're going to mark a holiday for the end of slavery. Why don't we make it by the Constitution? It's the Constitution. That would have been a smart answer. Plus this. When he was asked about this, he should have said, you know what, that ship has sailed. The Congress passed it. The president signed it. It's a federal holiday. Let's move on. That should have been his response. The end. Because I know he didn't know anything about December 6th either. And he really didn't know about June 19th. I mean, he heard of it. Don't get me wrong. But he didn't know. It's None of these people take the time to go back and do some research. And when you're on the stump, you don't have time to do research. So you got to be able to dance. you got to be able to bob and weave. When you're on the campaign trail, because you're going to ask a question and you're thinking, man, I don't know a lot about this. And just say, you know what? I'm going to look into that. But here's what I know. You know I know a little bit about it, but this deserves a, you know, and you, you dance. I don't know why they would ask Vivek this question because he, and at the time he said something else and they caught him. You know, that's why I said he's got, this is an experience, but he's, he's got to be better than this. Vivek, you got to up your game. So anyway, the remark came as Ramaswamy explained to a crowd of Iowa voters that in order to establish a new national voting holiday, the government may want to nix an existing one. Why is he talking? Why is the president talking about this? Uh, I shouldn't say. A guy who wants to be president, a guy campaigning, why is he talking about this? Federal holidays and stuff? He's got to spin into something he wants to talk about. You know, you brush over the, the, the question and then you go into something that you want to talk about, and it isn't Juneteenth Day. So here's a quote from Vivek at the time in Iowa, and all he's doing is pandering to vote. When you pander, it's going to come back and bite you in the rear end. I'm a former elected official. Been through a lot of elections. You have to you have to learn how to dance. There's some things you can hit somebody right in the nose with, and then there's certain things you, you don't need to hit anybody, smack them in the nose with, and this is one of them. Vivek should have said, why are we talking about Juneteenth? It was passed by the Congress. It was signed by the president. It's a federal holiday. Let's move on. Just say, why are we talking about this? But no, he said, he said well, said to himself, he had to have. Wow, here's an opportunity for me to pander to these voters in Iowa, mainly white, right? Midwest, rural. Let me do some pandering here. So anyway, here's a quote from Vivek. Cancel Juneteenth or one of the other useless ones we made up, Ramaswamy 37, said to applause. All these federal holidays are made up. There's historical significance to many of them. But that doesn't mean we need to make it a federal holiday because all it really does is give them 
federal employees a paid day off. And then now, you know, like some of these, it gives state employees as well. Federal, state employees, and federal employees a day off with pay. That's really all these things do. So it says here, when NBC News asked Ramaswamy to clarify whether he thought Juneteenth was useless, he replied, I basically do. Okay, you know, that's what you believe. But he wasn't saying that a year ago. They caught him. Because it says, and fewer than two months ago, Ramaswamy still seemingly celebrated the holiday, sharing a video on X, then known as Twitter, calling Juneteenth a celebration of the American dream itself, Bavik said in a tweet. Oh, really? So then he went on in the tweet, and it says, Juneteenth, from Vivek himself, Juneteenth is a new holiday, so we still have a chance to define what it means to us. It needn't be about grievance and self-flogging. Let it be a celebration of the American dream itself. If he believes that, then why does he think now that it's useless? Why in Iowa does he think it's useless? And why in Iowa does he think it's made up? That ship sailed. Leave it alone, Vivek. That ship sailed. Like I said, man, come on. You're better than this. Or you're not being prepped properly for these things. You can't. See, and again, I'm talking from experience because I've been in this situation. So I'm not one of these, these consultants who's never been there and they're telling these candidates, do this, do that. And they've never been there and they've never done it. I've done it. And don't think I've never stepped in it before. Because I have, but you learn. And you just let some of the stuff go they bring up that is of no consequence to whether people think you should be the President of the United States, how you feel about a federal holiday. Plus, you don't get the mail on, you know, I mean, it's just, I understand it. But he should have let that go. He just just let it go. And what he should have done, because they'll let you get away with this. Well, sometimes. Not so much Republicans or conservatives. But Democrats do it all the time. They say something clumsy, or they say something stupid, or they say something that they didn't really mean. And they come out the next day and they clarify it. They issue a clarification. I want to clarify something I said yesterday. That was a bad choice of words. I understand the historical significance of that date. Fall on the sword. Here's what I really meant to say. You know, these federal holidays, all of them, all of them, not just Juneteenth, you know, they cost a lot of money. And, you know, we over time they lose their significance. People on Memorial Day, this is what he should say in his mea culpa. You know, they just see, they, they don't see that to honor the, the, the American soldier, serviceman who died in battle. You know, look at it as a three-day weekend and picnics, and there's nothing wrong with that, but, you know, let, let's, I, I, I should not have said useless. And then, you know what? Move on. Move on. All right, next item. Boy, we've talked about this one before. I saved the best for last. Keep you hanging around. How many times haven't I sat in front of this microphone and talked about this this lie. I talked about it being destructive. I talked about it being a disservice to what we're trying to do to save this republic with all these people running around saying Donald Trump cannot win a general election. I can go back six, seven months ago, maybe even longer, and I've talked about here how this is a reckless position to take that this is coming not from democrats from gop pundits from talking heads from analysts gop saying we can't pick donald trump to be the nominee because he can't win in november of 2024 he can't run in the uh, november election and he can't beat biden everybody was beating that drum except yours truly 
Folks, I was a man alone, beating back this destructive narrative. I said, the hell he can't. Yes, he can. By the way, I've come up with that as a new slogan. It's mine. I mean, meaning you don't have to use it, but for Trump in 2024, yes, he can. Trump 2024, meaning for all the naysayers, he can't win in in November. He can't beat Biden. Yes, he can. Trump 2024. And all the polls showed. Some of them had Biden beating Trump by five points. I know there's a polls. I know there's a lot that goes into that. But that was the narrative. That was the narrative being parroted by many never-Trumpers, GOP donors, the donor class, GOP politicians, RNC officials, establishment rhinos were all saying Trump couldn't win in 2024. Well, well. It was about a month ago that I started pulling up opinion and analysis from Democrat strategists who were saying, yes, Donald Trump can win in November 2024, and if people aren't careful, he just might. All of a sudden, it started to flip, ladies and gentlemen. More and more Democrats are realizing Biden's the one who might not be reelectable in November of 2024. It's Biden who now seems to have the problems. It's Biden who's a drag on a Democrat's hope for election. It used to be Trump. You know, well, Trump's the best thing money can buy for the Republican. Remember that? For the Democrats, Trump is, you know, we want Trump. We're going to face Trump because Trump can't beat Biden. Well, that's flipped. And just last week, some indication of it finally bubbled to the surface. Here's an article from the Washington Times. Biden's sinking poll numbers put the Democrat Party in panic mode. So it says, and, and then you know what? Kamala Harris doesn't make it doesn't make it any better. And it goes through here the numbers, and I'm not going to bore you with the numbers. But anyway, one of these is a CNN poll that says this. A CNN poll. Biden's dragging us down. Biden's going to hurt. Trump could win. And then here's my favorite. Another Democrat analyst who I know personally, and I admire her, Donna Brazil. You know Donna Brazil. She used to be the head of the DNC, and they crapped all over her, the Democrats that were still being run by the Clintons when she was the head of the DNC. She was the one that warned the Democrats in 2016, Trump might win this thing if we don't change course. Well written about. I met Donna Brazil in a hotel lobby in Cleveland, Ohio, during the 2016 Republican National Convention. I saw Donna. I went up to her. I went up to her. She looked, Sheriff, how you doing? She at least knew who I was. That's no big deal, but she didn't like, who are you? And Donna Brazil told me she was at the convention to sit on panels for, you know, the this week, and, you know, it's a convention, so, you know, even the liberal media covers the Republican nomination, the convention for president. And her and I had a great conversation. She talked about how I tried to tell these know-it-alls that Hillary was in trouble. And to get to Wisconsin, I told them, and Sheriff, they blew me off. And she said, I I screamed from the highest tree. You guys are going to lose this thing to Donald Trump. Because remember, Hillary was up 95 to 5 in the polls. She was a shoe-in. This was a coronation. This was in the bank. Remember that? And she tried to tell him. She's the head of the DNC at the time. And they wouldn't listen. 
The Clinton campaign blew her off. She said, you know what? There's no real excitement at ground level. How many times have I said something to you that I stay at ground level? I keep my finger on the pulse of at ground level to find out what's going, really going on? She knew. She had a lot of years of experience in this stuff. She led Al Gore's campaign. Now, he lost, but by 972 votes in Florida. And it's a race he should not have lost. Al Gore. Riding the coattails of one Bill Clinton. So anyway, she's got a book out called Hacks, H-A-C-K-S. The inside story of the break-ins and breakdowns that put Donald Trump in the White House. She knows. She knows. She knows this stuff. I trust and I respect her political analysis, her political knowledge, her political instincts. And by the way, I trust my political instincts. I get underrated in terms of my political acumen, my political instincts, but I'll tell you right now, I got a famous phrase I like to use when I say something. I don't get into the prediction game, but I say something. People look at me like I got two heads. I say, you may not think I'm right today, but I will be right. And you know, more times than not, I'm right. Not every time, but nobody is. But my point is, I trust my political instincts. So I respect Donna Brazil. She's been through the wars. Well, she came out recently in a column. It says, Donna Brazil, former DNC chair, warns Biden and Dems that Trump movement is un. Unprecedented. I want to read you some stuff from this article. Former Democrat National Committee Chairwoman Donna Brazile says she's never seen anything like the political movement led by former President Donald Trump as he solidifies support within the GOP. And a major poll shows him tied with President Biden in a hypothetical rematch. Oh, really? He's tied. I thought he couldn't win. I like throwing this back in people's faces. It says here, Ms. Brazil said she's old enough to remember two big political movements, President Ronald Reagan's hold on the conservative base and President Barack Obama's ability to galvanize people with hope and change. Here's a quote from her. I've never seen anything like this with Donald Trump. I mean, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I mean, being indicted, being indicted that's making him stronger? Raising $10 million using an ugly mugshot to raise money? This is a movement, she told ABC's This Week on Sunday. Anyone who thinks that you can apply the old political rules to try to defeat this candidate based on he's scary, he's ugly, whatever you might want to call him, this is a movement, and we have to respect the fact that it's a movement. She knows, like I've known since 2016, like I've been saying in the face of all these know-it-all, Trump can't win a general election, we can't elect Trump, as our nominee, because he can't win a general election. You've heard me on this program. Tell those people to stop the Chris Sununus, the Asia Hutchinsons, the Carl Roves, the donor class. He can't win. Yes, he can. You, Donna Brazil has forgotten more about politics than these people I mentioned ever knew. And she tried to warn the Democrats who blew her off that Hillary Clinton was going to lose the 2016 election. And she did. So it says here, Democrats are worried about Mr. Trump's ability to put up big polling numbers despite his legal troubles. So see, there again, one of those you know, those uh, talking points. Well, he's political troubles. Well, he's got baggage. He got... He's leading a movement, and that's why his numbers aren't shifting. We're in lock, stock, and barrel with Trump. I'm talking, when I say we, the ones that support him now. And like she said, she compared it to Reagan, who led the Reagan Revolution. And Obama. Those were movements too. So it says, Ms. Brazil said Mr. Biden and Democrats 
must work extra hard to energize voters, particularly Latino and black voters. It's a quote from her. I think the president's campaign is going to have to really, you know, go deep and go hard to motivate those voters to come back with the Democrat Party coalition, because without them, it's a tight race and it's going to come down to four states. As I like to say, I told you. Thanks for joining me. Enjoy your week. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell and MyPillow are launching the MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented MyPillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Now, nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes MyPillow even better. The MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow, and now with the brand new fabric that is made with a temperature-regulating thread. The MyPillow 2.0 is the softest, smoothest, and coolest pillow you'll ever own. Say goodbye to tossing and turning and flipping your pillow over in the middle of the night. And more great news on the MyPillow 2.0, a buy one, get one free offer with promo code CLARK. MyPillow 2.0, with its temperature-regulating technology, is 100% made in the USA and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio podcast square to receive the MyPillow 2.0 buy one, get one free offer. Just when you thought MyPillow couldn't get any better, it does. MyPillow 2.0 gives you the best pillow ever. Enter promo code CLARK, that's C-L-A-R-K-E, to get your MyPillow 2.0 now. Friends, I want to thank you for listening to today's episode of Straight Talk with yours truly, America Sheriff David Clark. And a special thank you also goes out to our sponsors. My goal, as always, is to break down these complex and many times controversial issues and bring it to you straight with a little dose of common sense, no media bias, no talking points, just truth. And this podcast would not be possible without your support. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite place to listen. And please share this message of common sense on social media. For more content, be sure to follow me on Truth Social, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And just a reminder, we'd love for you to join our Straight Shooters VIP Podcast Club for only $5 per month. And with that membership, you'll receive invitations to attend private podcast events throughout the year as a VIP guest when we come to your town. Plus, if you join today, you'll also receive a free coffee mug and a sample of our private label coffee as long as supplies last. Subscribe and join at America Sheriff. This podcast is brought to you by americasheriff.com with executive producer Judy Wilkinson of JL Wilkinson Consulting and producer Josh Wentz in partnership with our friends at Bulldog Media. If you are interested in partnering with Straight Talk Podcasts or having me speak in your area, please contact Judy at jlwilkinsonconsulting at gmail.com, 706-518-2116. That's jlwilkinsonconsulting at gmail.com. Phone number 706-518-2116. Stay tuned. Great things are coming on next week's podcast.